With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. This is Jay Kokorowski here, Madison, Wisconsin, and it is chilly out, folks, and so was the Wisconsin offense on Saturday in a 22-10 loss against Penn State. And uh, I'm joined by Owen Reese, one of our fine writers on Bucky's Fifth Quarter. And, of course, you can find us at uh, on Twitter at B5Q. For Owen, it's at Reese Draft, R-I-E-S-E Draft, and me, J- at Jake Coco, K-O-C-O-B5Q. And, you know, Oh, and let's just get right into it because this is this is gonna be a podcast, folks. We're not like yeah, we have our show tomorrow night at Beer Rock, and I'll kind of go through what I normally do, right? Where kind of a quick recap, kind of preview Purdue. We'll go into a little bit of Purdue today uh, before we end the show. I think maybe if we got some time, but I, what I really want to talk about and do is do, you know we got some feedback from people uh, about repetitiveness and whatnot, but I, I kind of want to do a deep dive. And, and, you know, with what's going on with Wisconsin's offense and this team in general, six and four, four and three in the Big Ten, heading into Purdue this week, which itself is five and five. Uh, and now there's rumors that Jeff Brom uh, with the Louisville potentially targeting him and whatnot, speculation abroad. Uh, you know, we kind of wanted to break down what's happened with Wisconsin's offense compared stats to this year to last year and just go from there and then really just kind of break down what's happened and and Owen obviously is our our scouting guy uh you guys have known Owen to talk about just players scouting availability for, for the next level for the NFL he himself is a former division 3 player at Carroll University i got that one right this time Owen uh and it's a you know with this team you know like we we're just going to break down he's like Owen's played at the college level and so he, we're going to basically break down just what we've both seen and from Owen's point of view too, what what's happened with this offense and, and in terms of what maybe it's not meeting those expectations that were very lofty. And we'll even talk about the expectations of this team and where it came from, from and most from us, from the media, right. Uh, but also why we thought that way and, and what's happened since that, you know, since the season uh, began. And so, Owen, let's, you know, first off, I hope you're even going, well, we just got done doing a round table. Uh, and so uh, that'll be up on Bucky's fifth quarter coming up, hopefully tomorrow or Wednesday. But uh, first off, sir, how is your week going? Uh, it's good, man. Um, starting the week off, uh, kind of had one of our first, um, one of my first uh, not busy weekends. Um, coaching high school took up quite a bit. And then obviously right away, um, I had like my alma mater's homecoming, went to that, and then uh, the Rutgers game and stuff. So um, finally a, a weekend to uh, kind of just lay low and relax. So that was nice. Um, kind of looking forward to uh, to Purdue here. Uh, we're kind of getting to some uh, nut-cutting time for the Badgers, and it'll be 
uh, interesting to see how they um, respond, frankly, um, kind of following another disappointing loss this past weekend. Right. And it was, yeah. And, and look at that. Uh, obviously a one-sided type game where they gain 200 yards of rushing and then only 60 rush, uh, you know, 60 passing. Uh, they, there's some offensive penalty, offensive line penalties, uh, a string that really was disappointing where there was three in a row, you know, three, not three in a row, but uh, three during a, a particular drive in that second half uh, that really stymied and, and really constricted any potential of momentum there to, to help Wisconsin get into any rhythm. Yeah. They gained 209 yards uh, on the day on the day rushing only 60 rushing uh, 60 passing, I should say for Wisconsin. Uh, I, I guess, you know, let's just talk real quick about, just current stats for this year with this unit and really, you know, compare those to maybe even last year with this team. Uh, let's, let's start off with, with scoring offense, right? Um, only 10 points against Penn state, you know, at this year averaging just a hint under 29 per game. That's 68th in the nation. Who's just above them is Minnesota, uh, 29.1 points per game. And, and last year they're at 33.8 and, you know, Dave Heller, I put this out on Twitter, and Dave Heller actually came back uh, from Fox Sports Wisconsin. He really pointed out a really interesting factor, too, Owen. He mentioned that Nebraska's, you know, who they faced, Nebraska's number 103 in points per game allowed. Rutgers is number 105 in the nation in the FBS. New Mexico's 110, and Illinois is 120. And uh, those games, uh, they did score some points on those teams. And, you know, you, you take those four games out, the rest of the six, um, I haven't even put the averages together, but I'm guessing obviously it's a lot less than the 28.9 points per game they've they've scored. And, I mean, you look down there more, rushing offense, they're actually better. I mean, would you agree that the rushing offense may be better this year uh, compared to last year? Obviously, yards per game, they're sixth in the nation. They're, two, it's, they're almost at 267 yards per contest. Last year, they were just a hint under 223 yards per game. Uh, um, and so, I mean, what would you say? I mean, have they racked up just yardage, better yardage against poorer teams this year? Maybe are, are the stats deceiving? Um, I, I don't know if I'd say that so much. I think uh, you see the, the yards are, are pretty simple or pretty similar. Excuse me. Um, last year, uh, the total offense was 415 a game. Like you said, now it's 430. If you look at that, uh, the pass game um, is averaging about 30 yards less uh, per contest. And then the rush game is averaging about 45 more. Um, so that kind of evens out. I think um, there's a lot of give and take there uh, as far as, um, you know, maybe fewer passes uh, attempted per game. I'd like be curious to see those. Um, but I guess I, I would say the run game has been better overall. I don't think it's been very flashy. Uh, and I think that was something to get wrapped up in easily a year ago. Uh, Taylor starts the, the, the Florida Atlanta game and has two long touchdown runs and, and the 75 yarder against Nebraska and, um, you know, it was just much more, had a couple of big ones against Indiana as well. Um, obviously not necessarily uh, lauded run defenses, but um, simply put, I think there was just a bit more um, 
splash plays uh, last year in the run game, and I think that's something that this year has probably been more generally consistent, which I think you'd probably see coming from uh, Taylor in his second year. Um, he's not a true freshman anymore, and in clearly just becoming more seasoned, uh, being able to read blocks, better understanding run concepts, seeing how defenses are going to attack it and try to um, get their run fits in and um, how they're attacking him uh, and how he can counter punch back. So uh, I think that's something where um, the, the offensive line as well, uh, Biotish is very good, but he's no longer a freshman. So, I mean, there's obviously some improvement there. Uh, I think getting Michael Dieter back on the inside uh, is something that's probably benefited the run game as well. Um, John Dietzen, also a good run blocker at left guard, but uh, I think um, Dieter's a guy who I think is going to be highly regarded by the NFL. I think he'll be probably a top 100 pick uh, probably in the second or third round there. So, I mean, that's something that uh, is worthwhile. And then obviously, too, with guys like David Edwards who are in their second full year starting, um, that's going to uh, continue to improve as well. So I think that's the run game itself, I think, has probably been more potent, just less uh, flashy, I guess, for lack of a better term. And that's yeah. um, to the uh, to the untrained eye. I think that's probably something that it's been more um, noteworthy than not. Right. And, and you know, we'll, we'll talk passing offense real quick. Right now, they're 162.8 yards per game. That's 114th in the nation. Last year, they were about 30 yards more at 192.1. I think that, I mean, that's, I think, also due to Hornybrook being injured right now uh, with, with the two games that he was out, Northwestern, and uh, against, obviously, Penn State, where Jack Connolly threw for 60 yards uh, on the day. Uh, I think also you're missing as much as Jake Ferguson's emerged as a tight end threat, mostly on third down, I would say they still miss Troy Fumagalli in that position. Uh, and I think they missed Sander Neville on top of that, in terms of the run and the pass game, even though they're technically better running the ball this year than last year, stats wise and yards per game. Uh, I think Neville did, even though he only caught like nine passes last year, he two of them were for touchdowns and he could be a little outlet in the flat. Uh, there's also some senior leadership there as well. Uh, but really, uh, you know, it's also, I mean, we're talking about the loss of Quintez Cephas, who obviously is suspended indefinitely due to the sexual assault charges that were against him. Uh, and then he's still awaiting trial for, uh, and even though Kendrick Pryor and AJ Taylor, Danny Davis all came returned. I don't necessarily see like, I don't see as many necessarily contested balls, against uh, you know that Davis has really made I think there's one back shoulder catch that he's made this year and he had a great cat you know catch in and a dive for a touchdown against you know Rutgers at the end of that game a couple of weekends ago that that showed that kind of uh, you know that the effort play there but I haven't seen necessarily the explosiveness from the offense on the passing game wise uh, that you saw last year. And I think that, like I said, part of it's due to the injuries, part of it's maybe some Fumagalli absence where, but also just wide receivers maybe not have not done a lot or maybe that, you know, our friend Joel Nels talked about it too, right? Where, you know, in the tweet he mentioned about separation that the wide receivers are getting is not a lot. So that's not helping either Hornybrook or, you know, or a cone for that matter in terms of making a, a better pass. Yeah. And I think there's a few things to really look at here. Um, I, I'm glad you brought up the Fumagalli point. Cause I think that's something that, that would go unnoticed, right? So everyone says, Oh yeah, well you just have Jake Ferguson. He's your replacement for Troy Fumagalli as a receiving tight end. 
Um, and while the stats may indicate that or, or whatever, um, that's not really the case. Um, Troy Fumagalli was very valuable. Um, the Packers, excuse me, the Badgers were able to throw out of traditional pro formations to the tight end. Um, you could design things for the tight end. Um, the one, uh, the concept in particular, I always think back to with Fumagalli. Uh, he caught two big balls on it two years ago. Um, there was a play action concept where he would start on the right side and he would really run what's essentially a wheel route, but it would be a drag and then run up the seam um, and turn it up. Uh, he had a big catch on that concept against LSU. He also had one uh, against Nebraska. Uh, and those were two big balls that I think that, and obviously Fumagalli was a junior at that time, so this is, isn't a completely um, one year to the next. But I think that's something where the Badgers currently really aren't able to throw to the tight end out of their their preferred pro sets, right? So Kyle Penniston was kind of um, considered a receiving tight end coming out of high school. Uh, I would, I think it would probably be fair to say that he hasn't necessarily lived up to that, um, whether that uh, – don't know if that's any uh, in particular fault of his own or not, but um, uh, pretty clearly Jake Ferguson's already kind of taken over that flex tight end or that that eleven personnel tight end spot, um, which obviously he was a four star recruit. That's um, something that you kind of expect, but uh, I think that's a huge thing. Is that the the Badgers who are already um, criticized at times for being predictable by either formation or, or personnel group as far as tendencies goes, uh, only uh, magnifies that, and that's. Um, something that you mentioned in the roundtable I just brought up um, is that uh, when you go through attrition like that or, or there are certain personnel things that from the surface as a fan, you can say, well, why don't they do this or why aren't they doing that? Um, as a coach and as someone that you have to to kind of consider a lot more things than the base concept may be going on in a play, um, you're handicapped a lot more by personnel or by or by uh, personnel packages or, or formation than you might think. And I think that's something where a year or two ago you say, yeah, well, Alex Hornerbrook, a young quarterback turns to Troy Fumagalli, his safety blanket. Right. And you can say that this year too. And that's been the narrative that, well, Hornerbrook, you know, turns to Jake Ferguson. That's his safety blanket on third down and, and in the red zone. And while that's true, the Badgers spend a majority of their offense under center either in a pro style, either in 21 personnel um, or, or 12. And really that's a, a lot of, um, or 22 personnel rather. And I think that's something where that's a big uh, area that hasn't really been talked about much or something that um, is worth some more thought is that simply put, um, you're not being able to throw to you, probably your preferred target out of your preferred formations. And that puts more pressure one on the quarterbacks because they're doing something that's not their um, – especially for Hornerbrook, it was pretty clear how comfortable he was throwing to Fumagalli. Uh, and that's something too, that um, as a play caller, you're a bit handicapped or, or hamstrung as well, because you say, well, I'd like to do this, but that's not something that Alex feels comfortable doing, or that's not something that we feel as though is as advantageous to us. Um, so I guess to avoid getting too long winded here, I think that's something where uh, to the naked eye, you can say, yeah, well, they have all these good receivers. Why can't they throw the ball? Um, and it's not uh, uh, any lack of talent. Uh, you mentioned the lack of separation and, and um, whether that's through uh, the players not being um, superior athletically to their opponents or to um, the uh, the concepts they're running in, in the, the pass game, which is either, um, like I said, either coaching or um, game planning. Uh, that's something where, 
to the naked eye that you wouldn't necessarily notice that, but that's something where for someone, for a team like Wisconsin, that's so play action oriented, that's so um, condensed formation oriented. They want to be bigger and stronger than you and they want to bring everyone into the box so that when they do throw, there's more space. Theoretically, that's fine. Um, But like I said, it's been a bit different um, in theory than it has been in practice so far this year. And I think that's something that, um, probably goes a little underrated as to the, the value that Troy Fumagalli had. And I think that's probably what you hope Jake Ferguson eventually turns into. Um, but what he turns into and what he is right now are two different realities. And I think that's something that um, it's probably a bit harder for, for Badger fans to accept at the current moment um, rather than kind of taking the team for what it is right now and, and kind of trying to project those expectations. Yeah. And I mean, you know, to proceed with just our talk a little bit more too. I think a key stat too. You're talking about you know, we've, the the big security blanket for Ferguson's been on third down. I don't have the stats right off the top of my head, and I apologize I didn't prepare for that. But on third down conversions, uh, you know, Jake Ferguson was a frequent target when Alex Hornibrook, you know, early on in the season for sure, uh, in in getting those first downs. And you know, this year so far, and this is you know, I one of the sections that Owen and I have. You know, I, I created a document just for us to kind of hit some talking points. So, so the question is, is, so what the hell is happening with the offense? And we've already gone through a bunch of stuff already. Uh, but one key thing, you know, in terms of stats is third down conversions. This year, they're 42.9%. It's been called out by other people, by the way, for that matter. Uh, 36th in the nation, which still is, I mean, 36th in the nation out of what, 130 some odd teams. Not bad. But last year, they were 49%. And with the way this offense is set up, I think you'd agree with me that they need to keep the rhythm going. And if you're not going to hit the home runs on first and second down, uh, you need to convert your third downs, whether by my favorite play ever, the fullback dive hashtag fullback city, the, or another or running the ball or just some play action. Or if you're in 11, like you saw earlier with Ferguson and 11 personnel and Hornybrook finding you over the middle or, you know, uh, just for the first, depending on what play they call it really this, you know, they have not converted as many. And for that matter, in their four losses, they are 14 of 51 in that category and moving the chains. So against, you know, Michigan, there are two of 11. BYU there, I believe it was four of 13. And against Penn State this past week, there are four of 15. So almost 25%. You know, they're almost, they almost completed, because it's a little bit more than a quarter of their third down conversions against a good Penn state defense. Let me say that. But even against Illinois, they are only three of eight and they won 49 to 20 in that game. Uh, but I also found something else interesting too. First quarter. I mean, you, you've, you and I have both seen, we've covered those home games. Owen, they're 16 of 32 in the first quarter. So they're doing something well in the first quarter. You saw it. Uh, gra- granted it was a 71 yard run on a third and short, but Jonathan Taylor takes it 71 yards for a touchdown. But in the first quarter, they're 16 of 32. In the second quarter, that's when it drops off. And, you know, we noticed it at Rutgers against Rutgers uh, where, you know, the offense struggles in that quarter. They're 8 of 30 in that category. And so that's almost 25. You know, it's a little over a quarter of their third down conversions in, the, in that quarter. So there's some stalling there. And, and I mean, I guess, I mean, I know we've talked about Fumagalli. Is there anything else that's points out to why they're not converting on this down or is it, you know, to keep the rhythm of this offense going and is it tie into maybe our next topic talking about pass protection as well? Um, I think 
something that needs to be considered. I'm certainly not saying that it's the reason uh, for or against um, their their success earlier in the game. Um, both offenses and defenses typically script like their first 10 to 15 plays, um, which is why you'll see sometimes um, uh, offenses um, maybe not doing what they would later in the game. So maybe it's it's third and three. And you're thinking, wow, why don't they throw here? And they run, and maybe they get stopped and whatever. Um, a lot of times coaches have those plays scripted so they can see or they can either see how the other team's going to align to it so that they can try to manipulate it later um, or simply um, something they came up with earlier in the week and they say, we want to try this, let's get it in early and see how it works. Um, so I think that's something where defenses aren't necessarily um, – there, it's not, I'm not, I don't want to say that they're not game planned to stop it because they they scout obviously, but like you're not calling specific um, defenses for specific offensive tendencies necessarily in the first drive, maybe, and that's something where um, and you see that, and we'll talk about it in a little bit here with like sacks allowed for the offensive line. Um, you can see stuff early in the game where you might say, "Wow, the offense wasn't prepared for that," um, and, and and while that may be true, at the same point. Um, they may be, have been prepared for it. They simply didn't make a good call to respond or react to it. So um, I think that's something to consider. Like I said, I certainly don't have the answers as to whether or not that's why. Um, but it's something uh, in like in the, in the second quarter, they're clearly much less um, capable, or they have been thus far, uh, converting on, on third down. And I think that's something to consider is that once you get into the second quarter, you've kind of seen what the game plan looks like. You kind of see how they want to attack you and what they're doing, and, and defenses are able to uh, begin to adjust to that. So, um, And I, I also agree, uh, as we'll talk about here in a little bit, I think pass protection does have uh, something to be said for that as well. Uh, certainly with two and a half games now of Jack Cohn, um, and obviously only one, only two of those, not the two and a half, not the second half of the Rutgers game in that second quarter, but um, – certainly something to look at too. And it just, it really changes how Paul Christ and Joe Rudolph are going to call a game if they don't have um, the complete confidence in the quarterback to do that. And and I know there's been a lot of issues with that and a lot of backlash and frustration from fans as far as, well, why don't you let Jack Cohn throw the ball? Um, I wouldn't say maybe it's that simple. Uh, I'd certainly think that there's probably a different level of comfort in Alex Hornibrook who started 30 something games over Jack Cohn, who um, has played two and a half. So um, I think there's certainly something there. Um, I don't necessarily have an answer for you uh, as far as, as what uh, a real defining thing as far as the difference in the uh, execution in the first and second quarter on third down. But um, certainly a lot uh, a lot of maybes that, that kind of go into that for yeah, I mean, and you look at that too, where – and we'll go into pass protection real quick, right, where this team, I'll say, you know, 18 sacks in 10 games doesn't look bad on paper, right, where oh, only about 1.8 a game. But against Penn State, they gave up five. And, you know, and, and there are times where it looked like just there's miscommunication. I know one right off the bat was – a sack by Sharif Miller where David Edwards didn't stay on him. He pushed off toward, you know, with Eric Groshek both going to the outside and that left free lane for Miller to get a sack on Cone. Um, then you also had, gosh, even in the season opener, right? They had three against Western Kentucky. 
they had you know two against uh, given up against Michigan and I think it was Illinois uh, and whatnot. So it it seems just erratic. I mean, the stats don't necessarily give a bad like a really bad take, but they've also come at inopportune times and uh, hasn't you know it just maybe maybe we're hunting you know holding that offensive line which has three All-Americans and a freshman All-American as well, uh, you know, on that line. But maybe, you know, maybe it's too high of a level. Like you're always – not everyone's going to be able to get, you know, hold someone to one sack a game, right? Uh, but uh, I just found it, you know – oh, no, it wasn't Illinois. It was uh, two against BYU and Michigan. I'm sorry. Uh, and there's, you know, just one against Northwestern. But that was a big sack later in the game that kind of stalled out uh, some, you know, any momentum later in the game. But – uh, last season, by the way, only 21 allowed overall. But, you know, from you, from your perspective as a former offensive lineman, like what are you seeing that maybe is halting this offense in, in that category specifically? You mentioned there, you know, this offensive line, especially in that round table, they're good against the run game. Uh, pass game, maybe a little bit, obviously a little bit different. And, and maybe, like I said, those stats too, you know, if they give up these stats, oh, it's a bad game for them. But uh, you've mentioned stuff about, oh, defense gets like a sack a game. You know, a player gets a sack a game and or every other game, and, and they look great. Uh, but, I mean, I'd love, you know, we'd love, love to hear your opinion about just what you're seeing with this pass protection. Uh, I think, <clears throat> so, it's, yeah, it's kind of an odd uh, dynamic. I know we, we talked about this in the roundtable. I don't mean to bring that up too much. But um, as an offensive lineman, say you run 60 plays, right? And you give up one sack. Um, if you do that every game, um, you give up twelve sacks, um, but you have six hundred good snaps. Uh, but if you give up twelve sacks, it's, it's certainly not a good season. Um, and the same token, maybe Packer fans will uh, kind of appreciate this a little bit. Um, Kyler Fackrell leads the team in sacks right now, and I don't think there's really anybody that would agree that Kyler Fackrell is the best pass rusher on the Packers. Um, but by the stats, by the numbers, he's been the most effective this year. Um, and I think that's something where um, it's just it's an odd dynamic, where if a defensive lineman gets a sack every two games, that's six sacks. Yeah, that was a pretty good year. Um, if, a, if an offensive lineman has two bad plays in a game and one of them gives up a sack – wow, um, you know, Dave Edwards really struggling this week. Maybe not so much. Um, I think that's a bit magnified by the Badgers at times lack of pass attempts. So I think probably um, like five sacks against Penn State is extremely worrisome when they only threw the ball 20 or dropped back to pass probably 25, 30 times. Um, That's a, a very concerning percentage. Um, but at the same point, if you want to say, yeah, well, they only gave up two sacks against Michigan, um, a Michigan defense that probably has six to nine and future NFL players on it, um, at any given time, I think that's, uh, looking at stats in a vacuum can be either, uh, misleading or, um, opening. really, I guess for whichever side you want to look at it, but, um, Sacks also a bit of an, an odd dynamic um, when you talk about like a miscommunication between the offensive line and a running back. Um, really, the only stats offensive linemen have are, are sacks allowed. Um, really, I guess, and, and that's kind of a uh, a thing where 
I'm not in the film room, so I'm not entirely sure from what I'm able to figure out from what my guess would be, um, would be, that was probably on, on Edwards, but I don't know, um, what their specific protection scheme was this week against Penn state and their tendencies and stuff. So, um, I would say that's on David Edwards. However, against Western Kentucky, I remember earlier in the year, I went back and looked at a couple of those. Those were on Garrett Groshek. Um, was the, the offensive line took care of everyone they were accountable for. Garrett Groshek missed a, a block, and all of a sudden, yeah, the Badgers' offensive line, the pass pro stinks. They gave up two sacks. Well, no, the running back gave up two sacks, but that's the only metric you really have. So you really the only statistic you have to um, measure offensive linemen by is the sacks allowed. So um, I would say if you took away the Penn State game, which obviously was just happened and you, you can't do that, um, but prior to that they had given up 13 sacks in nine games. Um, and like I just mentioned, not all of them strictly on the offensive line. Um, so I think if you look at that number and you really say, um, wow, the 18 sacks is pretty bad. Uh, if you would say you've given up 13 sacks in nine games as a unit, I think you probably take that. Um, yeah. So no, certainly you, you bring up a great there. point, by the way, when you, when you talk about that, when they talk, when you talk, you're just about, you, you don't know the protection type. You don't know if it's the running back or, or whatnot as well. If it, you know, so, um, I, like I said, there's stuff that we don't know about as, you know, uh, you know, you know, the people that cover the game, uh, you know, is, is one level. And then compared to the other, to, to fans, uh, the casual fans is, is another. And I think that's something that people need to realize as well. Um, and I mean, in just kind of like going forward with that, I mean, with pass protection and whatnot to Owen, I mean, play calling, like you hear, you know, people use the word, the coinage, conservative play calling, no trick plays, stuff like that. How do you make sense of that where – You'd think maybe with the a player, uh, you know, like Cone that's still working in, it's his third game of the season. You know, obviously he played, and that's a mean, you know, third career game in meaningful snaps, right? This isn't last year where he played six games in mop up time and completed five passes. Is, is it? I mean, and, and Paul, Chris mentioned after the Northwestern game that you know they try to obviously make sure the person's comfortable and or basically it just said that you know they take uh, some things into consideration when you know they're not necessarily trying to you know make sure they're trying to make sure the game plan's appropriate uh and, and whatnot and with, with the players there and so i'm just wondering you know do you feel that this that the play calling maybe from your from what you see is maybe a little conservative with cone in there or even with hornybrook in there for that matter and you know and, and is it is it maybe even predictable i think you mentioned that too um is it predictable to teams or at least from your vantage point of, of what you'll see um i think there's probably two different schools of thought right so if you've got um and i'll address the hornbrook thing in a second but so if you've got your backup quarterback in right so there's two kind of different schools of thought one um is that, well, you want to make things easy. And I think that's probably something that um, the Badgers ascribe to a bit more um, where everything is run, run, throw a, throw on third down if we have to. Um, and what you're doing there is you're giving the ball to your best player. You're saying, here, Jonathan Taylor, lead us. Okay. And early in the game, it clearly worked. You had the big run and um, – through the first quarter, I think you're probably happy. You know, he's over 100 yards halfway through the first quarter. 
uh, and that game plan works. Um, however, if you're not able to sustain that, um, which I think goes opponent by opponent, I think Wisconsin probably could have beaten Rutgers throwing the ball eight times for the whole game um, and, and just simply running it and running it and running it. You're not going to do that against Penn State. And while Wisconsin fans um, seem to have a bit of an identity identity crisis as to whether or not they want to cram it down the defense's throat all game or if they really want to open up the pass game or not, I think that's something that um, – it, it puts your uh, puts your backup quarterback in a tough position, right? And, and that's something that I can certainly agree with and sympathize with is that um, while your game plan is we're going to let Jonathan control this game, at a certain point, Jack Cohn can't be uh, a victim to his own security, I guess. Um, a defensive front as talented as Penn State's isn't um, going to get gashed the entire game. Um, and that's where it's going to be third and seven. Sometimes it's going to be third and nine sometimes. And unfortunately in trying to, in your attempt to coddle or protect uh, cone and keep things easy for him, you've really made them harder for him in those situations because there's been a little attempt to get any rhythm in the passing game going or get anything going. And all of a sudden, well, it's third and nine. What do we have here? And then you're asking your offensive line, um, who, despite all the bells and whistles and, and pomp and circumstance of the NFL draft talk in, in the summer and whatever, they're very decidedly better run blockers than pass blockers. I've, I've said it often that Wisconsin plays offense with five right guard um, stylistically on the offensive line, and that's Simply a situation, um, and you saw it against Ohio State last year, where it's not going to be an advantageous position for them to have to try and sit back and pass protect for three to four seconds against these defensive lines that also have NFL talents at defensive end or, or inside. And um, the Badger offense, simply put, I guess, is much better, much more effective moving forward than it is moving backward. And while that's frustrating for a lot of fans, um, as far as the pass protection and stuff goes, it's a, it's a matter of fact is it's easier on the offensive line to run block than it is to pass block. Um, so on the other side of that sword, um, say you want to open things up for Jack Cohn. Okay. The, the other school of thought, well, we have our backup quarterback in, let's try some stuff. Okay. Let's throw the ball deep. Let's try to keep the defense guessing because if the defense doesn't know what we're doing, it'll be a little easier on him. And I think that that's where um, the uh, the conflicting schools of thought come into play. And, and I certainly um, don't have very strong convictions one way or the other. It's obviously a per case basis. But I think that's what fans are really getting frustrated with is that in your attempt to make things easier on, on Jack Cohn or Alex Hornerbrook for that matter um, – you're really kind of making them harder because there seems to be a uh, a tough, happy medium to find of where is where does the running game stop being effective and where does the running game being effective help the pass game? And I think that's a balance that maybe the that maybe Joe Rudolph and Paul Chris are having a tougher time identifying this year than last year. I think um, it's extremely ignorant to think that that coaches develop or play 
that they, that they're linear in their approach that they'll only continue to get better year after year after year after year. Um, I mean, there are simply years where the the talent is down or, um, you know, maybe you're just not as effective of a play caller sometimes. So it's a, it's a tough situation for, for a lot of the guys involved um, because, and and fans are um, probably overly critical uh, quite a bit of the time, but I mean, nobody wants to win more than these kids. Right. These kids actually have something invested in this. They work 30 hours a week through football stuff. They have a lot of time and energy and effort invested um, in in the game and in the outcome and the execution. Right. So. However, frustrated fans think that they are that for three hours on a Saturday, they get upset at, at, at the lack of potency in the Wisconsin offense. I, I guarantee you that. Michael Dieter and Bo Benshaw and Alex Hornibrook uh, are much more frustrated and much more um, uh, at a loss as, as for their struggles on offense. So it's just it's it's really one of those things where I think there's a, a big time disconnect between the fan watching on Saturday and the team and coaches and, and how they approach it. And I think that's probably a, a big um, a big component of the the disappointment or the frustration or um, some of the issues that are um, had probably by, by both sides um, is just a lack of uh, uh, lack of synergy between the, the goals of the team or how their, their MO goes and, and how fans think that they should do things. Um, so I think probably um, there, there is just criticism in, in being conservative, whether it's coaches don't trust the pass protection, like we talked about, whether it's a quarterback situation. Um, it's simply one of those things where, uh, and we talked about this a bit earlier, um, football is unfathomably contextual. Um, and you can we can look at stats and we can look at math and, and they are what they are. Um, and there's really no denying it. But at a certain point, math is context- math is objective. Um, and, and football is contextual. So to look at this year's offense, to last year's offense, or, or to even go week to week, um, I think, the, like I said, the criticisms of being conservative are probably just, but the exact reason why um, probably changes week to week. And I think it's just one of those things where um, it's it's easier for us to point a finger at a specific unit or coach or player or their lack of execution or whatever when really there's probably a huge um stew of of things that really um are all kind of coming together and being a microcosm of of the the badger struggles this year absolutely and and, i mean i'll call it out too i mean we've had some yeah we've we've had the opportunity to see some exotic formations from Wisconsin. I mean, people are like, oh, some trick plays or, oh, they're going for it on fourth down, yada, yada. Well, Wisconsin's type variations of, of their exotic formations is the jumbo package this year. And that's out of necessity with Neville being out. And so you have Logan Bruss and Jason Erdman as the pseudo tight ends that are wearing number 89 and number you know 96 when they're in those tight end type formations to, to be uh, – able to play those positions on the field. Um, so you see the different variations where they're either 
kind of overloading one part of the line or they're in the backfield. Uh, you know, like you saw the one variation with Cone and then Ingold is the one fullback on the, their first touchdown uh, against Northwestern a couple weeks back. Uh, you've seen Groshek in a wildcat or badger cat, wild badger, whatever the heck you want to call it. Uh, but then, you know, even against Penn State, oh, well, they should try some stuff. Well, they tried like a Danny Davis type sweep uh, when he was, if I'm not mistaken, he was in the backfield. And so uh, to me, it's, I feel like it's just like you said, we don't know exactly the personnel necessarily or what the matchups they feel could, you know, overwhelm Penn State this week, past week, but it'll change for what you see against Purdue, obviously, um, and whatnot. So I find that interesting. And I mean, the last point I'll point out about just with the offense too, turnovers, uh, they've had 11 in the last five games alone, even in, in the wins against with, Illinois and in Rutgers uh they've had uh they've had stuff but uh I mean you're looking at four against Penn State that's not going to cut it they had three they had three fumbles lost against Northwestern right and the defense forced three turnovers on the road in Evanston three turnovers forced in Evanston should get you a win uh hands down but when you give up pop up the ball like you did uh Cone and Taylor even though Taylor was credited with that fumble you know the mesh wasn't there according to Cone uh he said after the game uh, and the mesh is just as Owen explained it to me to make sure that I was right. It's just the process of getting the handing off the ball. And it was not correct in that instance. He did Taylor did fumble the ball there uh, again, uh, but there were two turnovers on the road against M- Michigan. Um, only one against BYU in that loss, but that was more third downs and the offense being out of sync that way. Uh, but also two against Illinois, uh, you know, and they had, you know, interceptions. I think they had two against Rutgers. Uh, Hornybrook had two interceptions there. So, I mean, like I said, obviously that's just uh, – you can't have that. Um, I guess like, my last part, Owen, and I know we've, we've gone, I think, longer than we think we, we thought we would. Um, expectations. Uh, and, and I don't know if we touched base a little bit. I think maybe we've talked about it in between some of these sections. I mean, and you, you said it about it, you know, the mistake being made is that there's going to be this gradual ladder, you know, this linear line of improvement. Do you feel like overall that the team maybe, you know, I think Jonathan Taylor's maybe done that linear improvement. I mean, yards per game are up, um, you know, against a, bit, a team like Penn State, he puts up 185. Uh, do you feel that other, like, I think, Offensive line's one thing. Uh, Richard Jr. quarterback, who I thought would be able to take the next step, and maybe not necessarily linear, but would take a, a pop up uh, a, a certain way uh, to like a Scott Tolzien from 2009 to 2010. Um, and even just the wide receivers even being better than what they were last year. I mean, do you feel like a lot of us, including the media, and you know, fell into that trap? Um. I think, yeah, I think we, media included, and I think I, I'm quick to admit I was one of them too, uh, I think it's really easy to look at things on paper and think that they're going to work out that way. In reality, um, clearly that's not always the case. There's always adversity. Um, everyone talking about how great Wisconsin's offense was going to be certainly uh, factored in Quintess Cephas into the into the occasion, right? So, um Unfortunate that issue aside, uh, it's just one of those things where uh, I think, I guess, none of us should be shocked that there is like volatility involving 
uh, young men between the ages of like 18 and 21. Um, but I, there's always going to be, um, I think there's always expectations. I think there's always, they're probably, uh, you know, warranted. Uh, it, it's just simply football doesn't always work out that way. Um, I, I don't mean to cop out of this, but I think it's, it's simply one of those things. I will uh, level this to my junior year at Carroll. Okay. So my sophomore year, we had a young man named Lamont Williams who transferred in. He was a running back. He ran for 1800 yards and 24 touchdowns or something obnoxious in like eight games my sophomore year at Carroll. And moving forward, everyone was saying, Oh my God, imagine how good Lamont will be next year. Okay. Um, and as a junior, he came in and uh, had some financial issues and wasn't able to start the season right away. Um, he came in a little heavy due to some outside influences that were kind of telling him to change his, his, his running style a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you look at the statistics at the end of our junior year where we, we digressed two games and we went six and four. And all of a sudden, everyone's saying, wow, Lamont wasn't very good this season. Okay, And, and while certainly compared to the year prior – he was probably still the best running back in the conference, but he just wasn't, um, you know, that, that linear progression didn't continue. He didn't continue to get better and better. Um, and then the, the perception of that suffered, I guess. Um, so then heading into our senior year, he was much more efficient. He still didn't have the stats that he had as a sophomore, but in more games as a senior, he was a better player. And I think that's something that, that I, I don't mean to soapbox this, but I think it's that, Things in football are not always linear. Um, I think Jonathan Taylor has probably improved from a year ago. I would say that that Alex Hornerbrook has not linearly developed. I think he was better last year than he was two years ago. Um, he hasn't taken that same um, level of a jump, I guess, or he hasn't taken that same jump from year to year. So I think it's easy to say, wow, he hasn't gotten any better. I think there are certainly things that Alex Hornerbrook are better at this year than he was last year. However, the grand picture um, is not necessarily leaps and bounds better. So I think it's easy to say that he hasn't gotten better. Um, I guess, simply put, I think um, that I think, like I said, there's a lot of volatility um, with, with college kids. And while that's not what college football fans want to hear, um, and I don't think that's certainly anything that anyone would bring up as an excuse. I think it's 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 a, a bit of a reality. Um, having Michael Dieter play left guard instead of left tackle, I think, is something that is probably um, easy to dismiss because he simply just swapped spots with John Dietzen. I would say that last year's, um, despite Dieter being out of position, I would say last year's unit was more cohesive. Um, I think the 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 difference between Dieter at left tackle to left guard is less than the difference between Dietzen at left guard from left tackle. If you can follow me through that, so I think that's it's something that I'm not certainly not going to attribute the entire um, difference from a year ago to this year to that. But I think that's certainly something you have to consider to put into the equation. Um, just a lot of things. I think that. Um, not having Quintez Cephas, although they didn't have him the last few games of last season. I think that's something that certainly hurt um, Danny Davis's season. Didn't linearly develop from last year to this year. He missed the first two games. The passing game hasn't been as in sync. If you look at his stats this year, you say, wow, why does Danny Davis stink now? He was much better last year. Um, 
I don't know if he's necessarily gotten worse, but the production isn't there. And I know Paul Chris has talked about that. It, those positions that don't have the ball in their hands every play, it's there's a lot of what happens when you don't have the ball, um, but that's not what you see on TV. So it, it's um, there's a lot of things. I don't have a uh, – maybe it's a cop-out. I don't have a, a hot take or a big um, answer as far as um, – uh, some revelation or some epiphany as to why the, the offense hasn't been as good. But I think it's simply a lot of things. Um, a lot of factors have gone into it. Um, and it's kind of one of those things where it's been a perfect storm. There's been enough injuries. Um, and certainly I know Paul Christ or, or any other coach wouldn't use that as an excuse, um, but it's a bit of a reality of the situation. Uh, and, and it's really um, – this season probably has been a disappointment as far as our preseason expectations go. Um, to say that the players themselves have been disappointing, I think would be a bit of an unwarranted criticism. Because uh, like I said, like no one's more disappointed in how this year's gone than those kids. Yep. Right? The, the players that have something invested. We simply watch three hours a week on Saturday, um, and, and it, it's, it's frustrating to watch. But like I said, it's certainly not a um, – no one's more frustrated. No one is putting in more work to try and turn things around than the coaching staff and the players. So I think, um, like I said, while from the media standpoint, has this season been a bit of a disappointment or a bit of a letdown? Sure, probably from what the expectations were. Um, but I think – uh, and this is something too that fans won't probably want to hear or don't really it doesn't really address this. But I'll tell you what, man, you can be disappointed with six and three all you want, and maybe you know, well, well, maybe they'll finish eight and five and play in the pinstripe bowl. Like that's something to be ashamed of. Um, you know, is it is it up to the standard that you expected, or, or maybe that you want the team that you're cheer for to to be at? Probably not. Um, but I'll tell you what. You're not getting housed by Clemson by 66 points like Louisville is, or you're not getting beat like a drum on a team full of NFL talent like Florida State is. So it's always one of those things where the grass isn't always greener. Um, and and while this year may be frustrating, I think that the sentiments that the players have quit or that the coaches have quit or that the coaches need to get fired or other of these, these outlandish things couldn't be further from the truth. Um, if you're if if the Badgers finish this season and they go eight and five and they lose in the heart of Dallas Bowl or the Gator Bowl or the whatever bowl, if eight and five is your down year, you're doing okay. Yeah. Um Michigan uh season fairly recently, LSU lost to Troy at home a couple of years ago. They're paying Dave Aranda three times what he made and Madison to do the same job and they lost to Troy. So there's just different levels of expectations and there's different things of you can be disappointed by Wisconsin being six and three, but Florida state's like four and five, you know, there, there's always places. There's always things like that where um, you can be frustrated, but I think the, the, the forest gets lost for the trees um, in seasons like this. And I think that you need to, it's, um, paramount that you'd be able to take a step back and then kind of look at the full picture rather than um, being filled with emotion and, and instant um, analysis and instant reactions like uh, a lot of fans tend to be for three hours on a Saturday. Absolutely. 
And and on that note, we'll you know what we'll take it home from here just because just because I know we've taken up a lot of your time, Owen. And uh, we didn't get to Purdue yet. We'll do another uh, podcast later this week previewing Purdue, and obviously a lot of uh, a cloud of uh, speculation over the head coaching vacancy at Louisville and how that ties into Jeff Brom and Purdue. We'll preview that. We'll talk. I'll talk with some of the players on Wednesday about that. Uh, it'll be a good discussion there uh, about just what the gadgety type offense that Brom produces and how. Uh, on different parts of the spectrum that that team has been where they route Ohio state uh, putting up 500 points and putting, you know, 500 yards, I should say, and 49 points and then only scoring 10 and gaining 233 up in Minneapolis last week against a team that fired its defensive coordinator that week. So uh, we'll touch base more on that. Oh, man, I appreciate your insight, man. Like, that's why we have you here on Bucky's fifth quarter and, and here on the podcast, man. You break it all down uh, and, and you, you you allow us to see what from a player's, you know, former player's perspective, what could be happening. And we always appreciate you, man. You bet, man. Thanks for having me. Always happy to uh, talk Badgers and, and, and probably try to talk some people off the ledge. Um, I know we've kind of had some discussions um, off air, um, you know, in some of our, our private chats, but um, it's always something that uh, try to keep fans in perspective. I know that's not always as fun or as, as rational a, a thing is that people, the human nature is, um, but I, I think it's, it's definitely something where can you be frustrated on how the season has gone? Sure. But like, I think the, um, like I said, the overwhelming sentiment here um is that the wisconsin badgers are still a good football program and um certainly aren't going to be defined by um a i guess quote unquote disappointing uh season um when really it's just kind of how she goes man yep yep agreed uh guys for this podcast uh make sure you guys listen on itunes listen on google play Tune in on the TuneIn app. We want your feedback. We got some feedback recently. And so we're trying to make changes here where I'm actually doing this. Not, I'm not recording at Beer Rock right now. We're going to have that live show tomorrow, uh, 2911 North Sherman Avenue on the north side of Madison. But people want a little bit better video or audio quality. Uh, we're trying to give that to you. We're also trying to give you guys more topics, which is why we're discussing the offense tonight, not really merely giving recaps and game previews with some interviews. So hopefully this is a good little change up for you guys. And we're going to deliver more of that, especially with national signing day coming up. We got a lot coming up for you and I'm already, um, we're five weeks out essentially. And I'm already striking up ideas and, and, uh, it's going to be an overload of, of recruiting over the next uh, five weeks there, but make sure to, uh, follow us on Twitter at B5Q at Reese draft at J Coco B5Q. Guys, have a great week. Tune in next, uh, you know, later this week. We'll have a podcast up talking uh, Purdue, talking about this week's matchup along with some player interviews. And you guys have a great start to the week. Stay warm, especially if you're here in Wisconsin and in the Midwest or North, you know, Mid-Atlantic where it's chilly out. We'll catch you guys later this week here on Bucky's Fifth Podcast. <laughs>